What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Tattooed Historian Show. My name's John. I am the Tattooed Historian, and we're back for another season of the podcast. It's been too long, right? It's been quite a while since I've done a, a podcast season. It's time to be back because we have some amazing interviews that I've done over the previous months. We have stuff to come that is going to be amazing. I'm really excited to be back on here doing something that I love doing. And podcasting was the first major project that I really dove into with the Tattooed Historian brand. Um, as many of you know, back in the day, I wanted to be on the radio. I wanted to interview people about history on the radio. And then uh, I got into live streaming and fell into podcasting and just fell in love with it. And uh, it's been too long since I have been on here doing this and I'm so glad to be back on here for another series of the Tattooed Historian show. I forget what season number this is. I just, you know, pick it up and go from there and figure it out as we go forward. Uh, but it is always a great time to be able to give you some cool history from uh new historians, up and coming historians, old historians, it doesn't matter. It's it's people who are really into the historical narrative who do great work. And I'm so happy to be able to do this. I'm so glad that we live in the modern era when this is getting easier and easier for people to do. It is easier than ever to make a podcast. I've been doing it for a few years now, and each year it seems like it just gets uh, more simple for more people to hop on, create something cool, and have their legacy solidified uh, in their own way. You know, have their authentic voice come across. So it is great to be on here in an awesome time in our history when live streams and podcasts are just uh, a great way to communicate with everyone. And this one, this particular podcast today is from one of my favorite interviews that I have done in the last six months. And this one I did with Blake Ball. And Blake wrote a great book, which was entitled Charlie Brown's America, The Popular Politics of Peanuts. Now, I remember growing up, and some of you do too, where you would get the Sunday paper and there would be all the comics in it. And it's still like that today, but it's not as big now because we can get our comics anytime we want. We can just log on and, and find whatever we need online. Back in the day, uh, you know, pre-internet, it was great to have that once a week where uh, you'd watch your cartoons on Saturday and you'd pick up the comics out of the newspaper on Sunday. And Blake does an amazing job with his book, which dropped in May of this year. And uh, he did a great job coming on and talking about Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts, talking about the art, the uh, the politics of Charles Schultz and how that came across in the cartoons. So this was just a fascinating talk. It was one of the most well-received talks of the entire year. And I'm so glad that I had Blake on. I want to have him back on here in the future um, because he was just a great guy and I was really, really excited to have him on. So without further ado, my friends, here is Blake Scott Ball talking about Charlie Brown's America, the popular politics of peanuts. You can go pick up that book right now. Go over on Amazon, look it up. It's a fascinating book. You're going to want to read it. Let's hear what Blake has to say about it.
am so excited about tonight's topic, and I'm so excited to have Blake Scott Ball in the house with us this evening. Blake, thank you for being here, my friend. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Blake is Assistant Professor of History at Hinden College in Montgomery, Alabama. The book that we are going to be talking about tonight, Charlie Brown's America, The Popular Politics of Peanuts, is on sale now at Oxford University Press. We're going to be putting up the links to that very shortly here. Uh, and we are very excited that Oxford University Press has given us a code word for tonight to get a little, uh, get 30% off on, on this awesome book. And as someone who grew up on comic strips, I'm very excited for this because it was always Peanuts and, and Mother Goose and Grimm for me. <laughs> I don't know That's why <laughs> it was gr Grimm, but it was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you probably remember that one too, Blake. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But thank you for being here, my friend. Uh, the the link is in the chat, everyone, and I'll put up the thirty percent off code. And uh, Blake, I I love to start out the conversation with the general banter of how in the world did you get into history? <laughs> uh, well, that's a uh, that's a great question. Um, I. Um, I always, I always kind of, I always felt like uh, history was the easy subject in school growing mm -hmm. up. Not so, not so much because, uh, because there wasn't um, uh, always good content. It was just like, I just, I love doing it so much, you know, like I love right. learning stuff and, and I, I kind of had a memory for, uh, for some of the, some of the things, not always dates, but like, uh, like some of the people and stories and stuff. And, um, so quite honestly, like when I went to college, um, history had come like just, just such a, just such a natural thing that for some reason I thought, well, if it, if it comes that easy, like that can't be the thing I do for a career. Like, you know, like, like, so I, you know, I got to do something else. And so I was actually, uh, I actually studied music for a few years, uh, in college. Um, I did, uh, vocal stuff and instrumental stuff, um, some classical guitar. Um, and, and, um, uh, but one of the things that I started noticing was, um, that, uh, one, I hated practicing. Uh, for for anything like I love playing shows I love playing performances and stuff but I hated practice and um, what I what I found I like to do instead of practice was start reading history books um, I was like I started off with biographies um, mm -hmm. just just like different you know pretty like um, well-known folks uh, like uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards of all people, the old Puritan, uh, yeah. that, that biography, um, uh, by George Marston was a big one for me, right. uh, early on. Um, like Winston Churchill, uh, was, was another, like, I was like, oh, this guy's kind of interesting. And so just a lot of stuff like that. And, uh, and then some conversations with some professors from like freshman basics courses about you know this growing interest in history and they were like well have you ever considered majoring in history <laughs> right <laughs> they actually know uh, that's a that's an interesting idea and um so yeah it kind of took off from there um by the by the time uh, 
I, I was really nervous about changing my major because I was like, I was like already into my junior year, I think when I changed. Oh, wow. And, um, and so I was really nervous about, um, like throwing everything off and messing the timing up and stuff. And, uh, and I went to my, my, the very first class I had as a history major was, uh, uh, recent U S history. And we started, we started April 12th, 1945, the day, um, FDR died. And, um, and, uh, and I walked out of that class just, just, completely blown away and was like okay yeah this is what i want to this is what i want to do in my life and um so uh so yeah then uh, you know then then came grad school and i had once again absolutely no clue what i was doing (laughs) or wanted to do (laughs) right right yeah yeah a lot of us um a lot of us go through that point where we're i i didn't it didn't hit me until like the day before I walked across the stage uh, in undergrad to get my, my BA where I'm like, well, now what, what do, what do I do? How do I get to the next level? If I want to get to the next level, I have no idea. And I remember walking the halls of my alma mater the night before I was supposed to graduate. And I'm like, I feel like I'm not supposed to be going yet. There's just something weird <laughs> wow. here. I don't know what to do. So I know that yeah. that, that could appeal to some people or just yeah. like, yeah, I don't know if that's, or even how to make that step forward. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Th- thankfully I had some, um, I had, uh, some, some good, good advisors that, uh, that kind of, um, I think saw, um, you know, saw that like I was the kind of, I was the kind of kid when, when I was doing my history BA that, that the, um, that the professor, I love the professors that would mention like books that their lectures were based on. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like, or like, here's a, something else that someone's written about this right. because I was, the, I was the kid that would, that would take note, leave class, go to the library and see if we had it. Like I wanted to go right. see the, you know, cause it was just, I don't know. It, I was just so enthralled by it at 21 or whatever I was. And, um, and so, um, so they they really uh, did a great job of of helping kind of point me in the right direction. Um, now, it, looking back, there there are definitely questions that I that I would have asked had I known uh, what what I was doing. But um, you know what I th- I think two of the I think uh, two of the biggest things um, that uh, two of the biggest lessons that I uh, or it, biggest pieces of advice I had going into grad school was like, um, like be open-minded about, you know, kind of, because, you know, I mean, every, as, as we know on this side of it, every, every year at every different program is a little bit different. Sometimes they got more spaces than others and, uh, you know, and, and so it's not, um, it's very easy to kind of take some of that stuff personal, uh, you know, if I didn't get in here or I got in there or whatever and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but, uh, but there's a whole lot more to it than just, just you. Um, so, you know, be open-minded and, and two, probably the biggest thing I think is, um, is find somebody, find somebody that you think you might be interested in, in working with at that school, right? Whatever school you pick find somebody that kind of has similar interests to you and start a conversation. 
like introduce mm-hmm. yourself, start talking to them. Um, because that, that was the real game changer for me was like, um, getting introduced to, uh, for me, it was a, a guy named Andrew Hebner at, uh, at Alabama. Um, and, um, I, when they set me down to talk with him, they're like, yeah, he does modern America stuff. Like, okay. And does like, he does like war in society kind of stuff. And so we said, mm-hmm. we sat down, I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. And, and I'm not that interested in war in society stuff. But by the end of the conversation, I was like, oh my gosh, like, um, whatever I need to do to work with this guy, I want to work with this guy, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. um so yeah, I, I think, I think finding, um, finding somebody that, that you can, um, kind of gel with and work with, uh, mm-hmm. is, is, is huge, um, for get, you know, figuring out the path. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had that conversation with undergrads on Twitch and they're like, how do I find a grad school? And mm-hmm. it's like, you need to find a grad advisor, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. someone that's like, you connect with what they study or you connect with that person. And uh-huh. that's how you, you can, you should probably think of it as I'm looking for a grad advisor before I look for a school. Yeah. You know, well, and I think that's really important. Absolutely. And, and in that regard, that's, that's one of the big differences, grad school versus undergrad is that mm-hmm. it's, it is a much more, it is a much more personal uh, and individual experience than undergrad was. Right. Um, and um, I didn't realize how, how much different that was going to be uh, w- when I was going into it. So I, I'm, yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's great advice. Yeah. So how, how did Charlie Brown come about? When did this all start to transpire where you're like, I need to dive into comic strips? <laughs> that's an amazing thing to think yeah. about i've never thought of this before and i've read a lot of peanut stuff like i said and it's like wow yeah okay here i want to i want to hear about this so. yeah <laughs> well um it um it uh it came almost out of desperation kind of late um <laughs> i um honestly when i went into my master's program i had I had no idea other than I, I kind of knew I wanted to do something with 20th century America. Um, and that was about, that was about all I knew. And so I spent the first couple of years um, actually studying um, uh, civil rights and Southern culture, um, things like that, which, which was uh, something that my department was, was strong in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of where I was, but, but I, I, I got really concerned. Actually, one of my, uh, one of my early America professors, um, like called me to his office one day and we were talking and, uh, he'd like gone over a paper I'd done. He said, are you, you know, you thinking about doing PhD stuff? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, that's, that's my goal. And he said, well, I think you, you know, I think you could, um, based on your work, I think you could do it. Um, he said, but, uh, he said, where did you do your undergrad? I, I was, I went to North Alabama. So I went to university of North Alabama, um, kind of close to my home. And then I went to university of Alabama for, uh, for grad school. He was like, he was like, Oh, okay. So you've been to Alabama school. Now you're at Alabama. You, he's like, you need to get out of this state. You need to get out of this state. You need to go somewhere else. And, you know, because you're going to get, 
you're just, people are going to pigeonhole you as, you know, just an Alabama guy or just a Southern guy or something like that. And so I got really worried and concerned about that and seriously thought about moving somewhere else. Um, but again, I had such a good relation, working relationship with my advisor that I was like, I just, the last thing I wanted to do was to walk out of a good relationship and not be able to find that wherever I landed next. And, um, and so as kind of my solution to this crisis I was having now, thanks to, uh, my, my (laughs) professor, his unsolicited advice, (laughs) um, uh, I, I started looking for, okay, I gotta, I gotta find something that is like, that says, I'm not Southern. (laughs) And and so, you know, I, I went, I went looking, um, and I, I, I was very interested in culture stuff. Um, I had always loved as a kid, um, uh, comic strips and cartoons and comic books and, um, uh, superheroes and, you know, I, I love to draw and all these kind of things. And so I was like, I was like, what if I could do something like that? And I was thinking about like, oh, maybe I could do like Walt Disney stuff because it seemed like Walt Disney kind of had the the um, uh, kind of the cultural capital to be. My biggest concern with it was like, are other historians even going to take this seriously? Right. If you if you're studying cartoons. right? Right. And so I was like, well, maybe if I do Walt Disney is such an institution that, you know, maybe that would be, you know, significant enough and uh and so i was looking into like okay well what's been written on walt disney and it turns out like everything has been written on walt disney (laughs) yeah yeah you said that i'm like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) and um but so i was searching around on amazon and you know for for once thank god for amazon like like uh the the suggestions bar down there where it was like Mm -hmm. you know you might also be interested in Right. And it and it had some collections of Peanuts comic strips. And mm-hmm. I started thinking, you know, I'm like, I'm like flashing back to the funny pages on Sunday mornings as a kid yep. and thinking like, oh, man, like, I wonder what's, you know, what are people doing with with Charlie Brown? Like, you know, like that's that's really big, too. And so I started looking into it and uh, and it really turned out that there was um, outside of kind of uh, a outside of a couple of biographies, kind of popular biographies, and, and then um, kind of some stuff done, um, mostly like short essays done, mm-hmm. kind of thinking, um, but uh, nothing from historians, nothing like that. And so I was, I was like, okay, I, 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 this might be it, right? And so I start, uh, I start kind of pitching this idea to everybody, like, what do you, kind of testing it out? What do you think? Do you, you know, Right. Would you still take me seriously if I did this? <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, which was really, <laughs> which was really like a huge concern for me. I was so mm-hmm. worried that people were going to be like, oh, this guy's, a, you know, this guy's not a real historian because he studies right. cartoons. And um, so, so yeah, so that was the start. And I, as I looked into it, I, I found out that just a, just a couple of years before that, um, the Schultz family had opened up an archive and museum uh, out in Northern California, and uh, they'd collected just tons of stuff. And uh, and so I was like, okay, well, I need to go visit. I need to go see what they got. Uh, I still had no clue 
like basically all I had a all I had was a question was the question why was peanuts so popular in the second half of the 20th century like that was that was my question and um I had no idea what an answer to it might be um and um and so I just went out to the archives and started digging and seeing you know what what they had and turned out what they had was was uh just incredible stuff not only Schultz stuff but thousands of fan letters from across the decades mm -hmm. where where people like regular people were mm -hmm. and and famous people all, all sorts of people were telling charles schultz exactly what they loved about about mm -hmm. peanuts exactly where they connected exactly where they had quibbles and you know and and all yeah. the, you know where they where they thought it the story should go and all these kind of things and so so yeah, yeah it just i just followed the story from there i was wondering when when I saw that you had utilized these primary sources with the letters mm -hmm. and seeing that you are talking about, uh, you're showcasing that Peanuts has these political uh, positions, undertones, mm -hmm. Charles Schultz has these mm -hmm. undertones. Mm -hmm. Did he receive, did you find, did he receive like hate mail because of this oh. or was are people calling him like a communist or, or what's going on? Like it's the middle, it's the middle of the cold war and, yeah. and, and yeah, Vietnam's yeah. going on and, and all this stuff yeah. going on. And we'll go through like some of the things that you found with the positions, but yeah, because yeah. you, because you brought the mail, I'm like, did he get hate mail for this? Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's like a, it's like a whole, it's like a whole range of, of different types of hate mail. Like sometimes, sometimes people were mad at him when, um, like for example, some sometimes um, uh, evangelical readers got mad at him when he would quote Bible verses in uh, in uh, the the comic strip because they felt like he was making a joke out of the Bible. Mm. Um, now others others would write and be like oh this is so awesome that somebody's talking about this and you know in the right. in the newspaper um he got uh there was there was this one really bizarre strip um in uh the late 70s where um where franklin is out practicing hockey um mm -hmm. on the on the uh frozen pond there and Peppermint Patty comes out and she's trying to practice figure skating. She runs into Franklin and she's all mad at Franklin because he's in the way. And uh, and he says, well, I, I, you know, I was here first. I was, I'm, I'm practicing hockey. And the the punchline, the last the last square is um, is uh, Peppermint Patty says to Franklin, Franklin, how many black players are there in the NHL? Wow. Right? Just like just like. <laughs> Just, wow. Just like, yeah. why are you wasting your time? Wow. And, and, uh, which, which is, as far as race goes, it's, it's one of, it's one of, um, Charles Schultz most like just blatant, um, uh, uh, references to, uh, to the situation, but, uh, and in a sport that he loved, he was a huge hockey fan. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, uh, uh he got he got a letter about that one and he and i write about it in the book uh he was pretty fiery in his response to this letter because the letter basically accused him of kind of miss charles schultz point um and and was accusing him of like of um basically like uh, 
insulting Franklin and insulting black Americans and, and things like that. Like, and, uh, and Schultz, Schultz wrote back, I mean, like a really, he, he was a really kind of quiet kind of subtle guy, but he mm-hmm. could get fiery at times, uh, from different stories I've heard. And yeah. he just, he just unleashed on this person and was like, was like, look, how dare you, you know, basically insinuate that I'm a racist and, you know, and that, and, and just explains kind of flat out what, you know, I, I wasn't criticizing Franklin. I was criticizing American sports. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Right. And it's so, Um, it's so timely, Blake, because I think it was earlier this week was the first time we had three uh, black NHL starters. I think it was on the Tampa Bay lightning. And yeah, so that's so yeah. timely that we're that far removed from that one strip. It's still, yeah. um, it's, it's still, still relevant to, yeah, yeah. it's so relevant yeah. To yeah. even today. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. So this, this proves that, you know, even Charles Schultz gets, gets hate mail. Uh, <laughs> who, who, who was Charles Schultz, the man who, who was he? Yeah. So, um, He's a Midwesterner. He's born in uh, born in 1922 in uh, Saint Paul, Minnesota. Um, he is an only child. His dad is a barber, a, a local barber, and um, he um, always kind of thinks of his dad as as a very independent. Uh, thinks of his dad as a business owner, and and he Schultz really thought of himself as a business owner as well kind of a and uh he really um you can see in some of the ways that he navigates the issues he decides to get into uh that that he he does think about kind of business implications of of different choices that he's going to make um and sometimes you know sometimes if it's something he's passionate enough about he just says kind of you know, damn the results and, and just do what's right. Um, so, um, he, uh, grows up only child. Um, he kind of terms himself a pretty unremarkable student, uh, finishes high school with kind of mediocre grades. But one thing that he was particularly good at was drawing. He loved comic strips from the time he was a kid. Of course, with his dad having a barber shop, like his dad, uh, would take, the shop would get newspapers uh, each week. And so he'd bring those home. And apparently his dad was just as much of a comic book, a comic strip reader as, as Charles Schultz was. And so the two of them would read them together and discuss. And, and um, so he took up drawing. Well, his mother sees an ad um, somewhere around uh, 1939, 1940, sees an ad for uh, a a correspondence course um, for um, commercial and art and cartooning. Um, and the school's actually over in Minneapolis. And so um, she presents it to Schultz and, and uh, he's all excited about it. And so they pay, they pay the registration and, and uh, get him into the program. And initially he starts in it like, you, you know, they would send the lessons and you would copy and do the things that it said. And then you'd sit, you'd mail them back in and they would send it back with corrections and comments. And, right. And so he starts off, he starts off um, the, the, he said originally that he could go into the school if into a classroom, if he wanted to, but he was like way too nervous. He thought, you know, he wouldn't be good enough. And so he starts doing the stuff 
he starts getting his lessons back and he's like, man, I, you know, starts to realize maybe he's a little better at it than he thought he was. And so he starts going to the classes. He starts making friends um, in the classes, but also with the instructors. He finishes the program uh, at the top of at the top of the program and uh, they end up inviting him back to be an instructor um, to start. He starts off kind of almost like a almost like an art TA kind of grading assignments and and offering remarks and things. So um, so he's kind of uh, on the road and he's decided that he wants to he wants to do newspaper cartoons and um, and then um, he gets a draft notice uh, right after his 20th birthday in 1942. He gets a draft notice and he's uh, getting shipped off to uh, to Europe. He was uh, he was really kind of a lanky guy. Um, he he enjoyed sports, but he did not think of himself as tough or as the kind of, you know, he'd never shot a gun. Um, so, you know, this wasn't really uh, his sort of thing uh, in the process of getting uh, getting shipped off uh, into the military. He gets notified uh, during training that his mother has passed away. Uh, she died of cancer. And so um, so he's already upset about being pulled away from what he was doing in life. And now his mom's gone and now he gets shipped off to Europe. And he um, years later, as a senior adult, he talks about this stuff and, and, and he says, you know, it was really the, the three loneliest years of my life. Like mm. it just um, it, it was just it just all came at a very bad time. Um, but. Uh, despite that, uh, it, he kind of works his, works his way up in, uh, in his unit. He becomes, um, the, uh, the leader of, of a platoon and, uh, for, um, uh, light machine gun. And, um, he, uh, is, he helps, he's part of the security force that, that, um, that secures the, the perimeters, uh, during the liberation of Dachau and, uh, you know, they're, they're there for kind of some of those big monumental, uh, moments there at mm -hmm. the end of the war. And, um, and so then he comes back home and he decides to, he's continued drawing while he was at the war. He decides to kind of get back into, uh, uh, pursuing this, this art career. And, um, so he starts drawing, uh, every opportunity he can get. He's working at the at the art school again. Um, he lands a local uh, Sunday cartoon in the St. Louis, um, the St. Paul paper, mm -hmm. and he does that for about two years and uses that to create content that he then sh sends off to some magazines in New York. He finally gets published um, a few times by the Saturday Evening Post, which was a big popular yeah. magazine at the time, yeah. and um, and at that point. He uh, once he he's kind of locked in uh, some of those um, contracts, he comes back to his editor at uh, at St. Paul and says, hey, look, I'm I'm now nationally published. I want to raise and I want a daily feature. Uh -huh. And his editor says uh, his editor says, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, we don't really have much as it goes in a comics budget. Um, so there's, there's no room for a raise. And Schultz says, well, if that's, if that's the case, then, you know, maybe I'll just have to quit. 
And the editor, the editor basically says, well, go right ahead. <laughs> and so Schultz, so Schultz walks out of that meeting jobless. Oh. Um, but he's fired up by the Saturday evening post stuff and he keeps sending mm-hmm. out stuff. And by the end of the year, he's got noticed by, uh, this is, um, um, 49 into 50. Uh, he's, uh, gotten noticed by, um, one of the national newspaper syndicates and, um, uh, they kind of offer some critiques and he uh, fixes the stuff and, uh, it, they, uh, sign a contract with him they want to do it and they call it uh the the syndicate calls it peanuts he wanted to call it like maybe good old charlie brown or something like that he's actually kind of ticked off by the uh by the title choice that they made um and uh and so october 2nd 1950 it launches in seven newspapers across the country including like uh seattle times denver post uh washington post uh, was was first uh, some of the big ones, um, and uh, and he never looked back from there. I mean, uh, it it just started a slow climb there in the early fifties, um, and then uh, he continued doing it for the next fifty years until he passed away. Wow, that's that's an amazing life. Yeah, you know, to, yeah. just to that point, and then yeah. to go through all that, having to go through all that trauma. Uh, from what happened back home, what he saw overseas, and then to want to create, you know, such amazing art that's timeless. That's just an amazing life in itself. You know, just the biography of Schultz is, is an amazing work. And, and you took it a step further and, and you took it from that to the, the, the undertones or sometimes not undertones. It's right there for you to see. It's Mm -hmm. just, you have to look. And and yeah. think a little bit deeper than hey, it's just a funny comic strip to get the message. Uh, I'm guilty of that, where I just <laughs> look at it and I'm just like, oh yeah, uh, I don't sometimes don't see it. Um, yeah. When 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 does his themes first start about? Let's say uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to call it political themes, but he's starting this this in seven uh, different uh, papers at the time or mm-hmm. seven mm-hmm. places at one time. In 1950, the Korean War is going on. Uh, yeah. Korean Wars is really kicking off now. Uh, yeah. What does what are his first ones kind of look like as far as what are their tones? What are there? Or is it a plethora of different things going on in his in his uh, creative world? Yeah. Um, well, so so to um, to kind of launch off off your question there, I. I uh, one of the things that that I that I did to really to really start this project after I had kind of a grasp on on um, on Charles Schultz, who I had known, you know, he was he was still around when we were younger. So, I, right. but I'd kind of known him as this kind of like grandpa figure, you right. know. I didn't know, you know, it, it was decades before me, mm-hmm. and so um, um, so once I kind of had a grasp of like early career and how that was going, one of the things that I did was actually to track down those, uh, those seven newspapers on October 2nd, uh, 1950. And I wanted to, uh, through microfilm, I wanted to get, I wanted to get these newspapers and I wanted to look at it from the viewpoint of a reader, um, seeing this for the, for the first time, right. In the context of, 
all their news that's going on in their world, going on in their community and their states. And, um, and that was the, that was the really jarring thing is like, is like, yeah, it's October, 1950. Like it's, it's in the dead heat of the early uh, Korean war. Um, it's, it's not really clear how this thing's going to go. Um, it, it, and, um, and it's, and it's all right there. And of course, in, in papers like, um, like for example, the Denver post, they were running it. Uh, they, in order to kind of help promote peanuts that first week, they were running it right on the front page. And so you've got, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got, uh, you know, like headlines like red raid in uh, you know, in South Korea, Right, you know, in big bold letters, right above Charlie Brown, you know, and his friends, but wow. you know, and <laughs> and so, um, you know, it, it, but in a, in a in a really weird way, um, I think that the kind of exploits and foibles of the Peanuts characters really fit in with, um, with kind of the, where the world was at in that moment the the anxiety the uncertainty you know remember like we we look back at the 1950s and we know we know what the united states became out of world war ii right there the people that are living the 19 living 1950 like what they know is is the the previous two decades have basically been hell for everyone you know between war and depression and you know and Mm -hmm. um and so um, they're they're not they they are hopeful about the future, but they're also like on edge, ready for it to probably take a really crappy turn. Right. right? And so Charlie Brown like really, really resonates in that moment. Like here's this kid who I mean, for, for example, um, one of the surprising things for me was um, like the classic kicking the football, you know, Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. Yep. Uh, and Lucy, and Lucy yep. snatches it away. Yep. Um, first time Charles Schultz ever did that was 1952. It's right there at the beginning. Um, and 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 so you've got the establishment of this character who, against all odds and against mm-hmm. all common sense, he mm-hmm. keeps trying to hope. You know, he keeps trying to kick the football. <laughs> yeah. And it keeps not going well for him. Wow. And uh, and it just and it just really seems to resonate with where folks were at, but. There's a whole, um, as far as particular issues, I mean, um, uh, a lot of a lot of Cold War issues come up in there, um, mm. uh, including um, concerns about like uh, the atomic bomb, about nuclear fallout. Like there, there's a strip where um, where Linus goes outside uh, for the. Uh, so Linus was a character that you actually saw. Uh, born into the strip so he was a he was an infant and you kind of see him learn to walk and grow up and become you know all of the characters kind of grow up to a certain age and then stop right (laughs) and and so linus was one of the one of the last ones in that early group to grow up and um and so the thing with him early on is he's really naive he doesn't know a whole lot of things about the world and he's learning from the other characters and uh, he goes outside um, in his first winter since he's been walking and uh, and it starts snowing and he just like freaks out, panics, runs for the house. Charlie Brown stops him and he's like, oh, what's going on? He, and he said, it's just it's just a little snow. 
And, uh, and, and Linus says, oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, he's like, I, I was worried that this was the fallout everybody keeps talking about, <laughs> yeah. you know, but like, yeah. but it was, the, it was that kind of, that kind of stuff, like the kind of stuff that, um, that on the one hand you kind of chuckle about, but also on the other hand, it's like, that's really dark stuff for kids yeah. to be, yeah. to be worrying about, you know, at four yeah. years old. Yeah. Um, Thinking about nuclear fallout and yeah. this is what we're told it might look like from a distance or something yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's crazy yeah um, yeah th but that's that's art too you know yeah. and, and that yeah. it's going to make you think a little bit differently about that and i really when i first started to understand what peanuts was and and like the comic strip and look back i was looking back mm -hmm. at it from a historical standpoint and i looked back at the vietnam era and that's where I really started seeing the undertones really start to come out uh, because you see the societal kind of shifts and stuff going on. So you had the Vietnam War going on, right? And you also had uh, uh, issues with integration, correct? Where he's kind of tackling yeah. multiple things at one time and you never know what mm -hmm. tomorrow's paper or Saturday's, Sunday's paper is going to say next. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um and, and that's a that's a great point about, um, you know, I really uh, about the Vietnam War. I really learned a lot about we, we hear a lot of stories about um, Vietnam culture and about kind of what, you know, uh, depending on who you're talking to or what your what your source is, you either hear a very a very anti kind of war uh, theme mm -hmm. uh, with Vietnam. And, or you hear this very kind of patriotic, like our, our troops were done wrong and, and, and kind of thing. And, and the reality that, that I found and, um, and I think that Charles Schultz articulated that really captured the moment was, was really more of um, kind of an, an uncertainty, maybe, a, maybe even an ambivalence a bit about, about like, a lot of folks aren't even exactly sure what the war is about, right? Like mm -hmm. the details of the whole thing are really confusing to a lot of people, um, it, even living it at that time. Um, mm -hmm. it, the, the place names are strange and, and, um, and there's, and there's, it, you know, if you've studied the Vietnam war or, or read anything about it, you know, that there's not just, it's not just one army on one side and one army on the other. There's like multiple different forces and things going on. And, mm -hmm. and so it was really confusing for folks. Uh, and there was kind of this balance of, of people that people that felt like, you know, our, our troops, um, our troops, because they're going over, especially in the case where a lot of them were drafted, right? right. Um, they're not going over there by choice, right. right? It wasn't their choice to go do that. They're serving the country. They're trying to do their best and 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 follow their orders. Uh, so there's kind of this this sympathy or empathy for the the condition of you know the situation of these young soldiers. But on the other hand, there's this growing frustration and eventually just complete. Uh, disenchantment this mm. you know disengagement from from the war itself like like and so schultz kind of walks this line of like i'm i'm for the troops i'm not sure about this war and increasingly i'm hating it mm -hmm. and and eventually that drives uh schultz and i you know and his audience uh and americans they kind of get to this point by the early 70s where it's like 
you know, maybe the best thing for the good of our troops is actually to bring them home, like in this thing, bring them home. Um, so supporting our troops means ending the war, mm-hmm. um, which um, in, in which the, the anti-war movement, which which, of course, um, in some cases wanted to wanted to kind of take those message further in that. But they're but they're very instrumental in kind of moving the needle on that for the average American who go who initially had felt like being a true patriot meant supporting America's war effort and things like that to move them to a place where they go. No, actually, maybe the most American thing is to is to stop this whole thing and come home. Mm, Yeah, Uh, I have to give a shout out to someone in the comments because they listed the two people who influenced me, maybe influenced you, Blake, growing up. One is one is Charles Schultz, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other uh, is Jim Henson. So thank you for oh, up yeah. my guys in the Muppets. Uh, thank yeah. you for that, because this brings back a lot of memories, right? And they also had some political undertones as well, which yeah. we won't get into because that's not in your book. That'll be the next, <laughs> that's the next one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Blake is going to do a side-by-side, a comparative history uh, on that. Um, but yeah, it, it's the other one that uh, really piqued my interest, Blake, because, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, uh, myself personally, I've been in, involved with some of the uh, issues regarding it. And obviously, I don't get uh, too political on my sites, obviously, uh, because I love to have an open dialogue with people. But yeah. Charles Schultz's cartoons and comics concerning feminism mm-hmm. uh, some, sometimes, uh, you know, pierce that veil. And, and was was uh, poking the bear, let's say, <laughs> and being like, hey, uh, we, we, we have an issue here that may, we may want to talk about, which it seems like he was very good at that, even though he still got the hate mail. That actually shows you're good at it. Um, but the the feminist thing, because we often think of the anti-war uh, or, or pro-troop anti-conflict mm-hmm. end of it, uh, because mm-hmm. we still, mm-hmm. to this day, sometimes, I know my local paper still runs... Um, they still run the cartoon of Snoopy uh, on June 6th in Normandy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Every year. Every yep. year they run that cartoon. And I'm yeah. like, okay, uh, pro-troop, maybe mm-hmm. for Vietnam later, anti-war, yeah. uh, anti-conflict. But yeah. then you get into the feminist side of it. And that's a really interesting take too, right? Because it's still yeah. the same kind of style with him. He had a similar style for it across the board. Yeah. Yeah, he's he. I think you really hit on his style, like that he um, he was really good at uh, sort of introducing a topic, right? And so, so in a lot of ways, I I, I see what Charles Schultz was doing as um, uh, as being sort of a, a touch point for conversation, right? And so, so um, and then the other side of the conversation is these these letters and and. Uh, and editorials and things that that uh, come back to it, and um, and so uh, yeah, in the in the area of feminism, uh, very early on, I mean, from the first week of Peanuts, it's very clear that one of the uh, one of the themes of this is that the uh, of this strip is that the strongest characters oftentimes were the female characters. Yep. Um, the the they are. Um, uh, sometimes, um, sometimes it's in sort of a, sort of a, you know, like with Lucy, it can be kind of in a domineering way, like, you know, kind of belittling the, the boys, but, but also there's just plenty of times where, 
where basically the the girls end up being the most by far the most competent ones uh, that are kind of like handling the situation and and the boys kind of assume that they need help and you know and there's nothing left for him to do or whatever right. um i mean you've got uh hands down the best athlete in the whole in the whole uh gang is peppermint patty yep. right i mean she yep. just kills it at every sport she plays yep. uh, not so great at school but uh but <laughs> she you know but but there again this you know hands down smartest kid in the strip is is arguably marcy you know who who's who's always you know always knows the answer or or maybe franklin franklin makes uh franklin the, yeah. the black character makes really good grades yeah. too yeah. um but uh so so yeah so those are those are big things for him um i mean schultz um um people that worked with him in the profession there's there's a number of uh of female artists uh like um uh, like the artist, have you ever done, have you ever seen this strip? Um, you remember the strip Kathy? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. There are yeah. the coffee mugs and everything. Yep. Um, so, uh, so, and I, and of course, now that I've brought up the strip, I'm blanking on the artist. Um, but, uh, but anyways, artists of Kathy and several others, um, really credit Charles Schultz as being the person who, who really kind of, um, went out of his way to make sure to connect them with people in the industry. And, and, um, uh, he, he just really believed that, um, that if, if women were going to, if women were going to get their fair due, right. For all the abilities that they had, uh, if they were going to get a fair shake, then, uh, there had to be, um, it, it's not just naturally going to happen in, in this, in this, in the way the world was set up at the time. And so, mm. so he was really adamant about, um, about, um, doing what he could to help open doors, uh, doing what he could to make connections. Um, mm. he becomes super close friends with, uh, with Billie Jean King, the famous tennis oh, wow. player who, yeah. who was, who was a big, uh, women's rights and women's sports activist. Right. And, um, he is, uh, he, yeah, donates, uh, a lot of, uh, his work and his money, uh, to helping, um, the, um, uh, Billie Jean King's, um, uh, women's sports foundation, um, to help expand not only, um, the visible professional sports, but also expanding title nine, uh, so mm -hmm. that, so that school children uh, could play sports. I was talking, I was talking to my, um, uh, my wife's mother is, uh, is, is older. And, um, so she went, she finished high school in the mid sixties. Mm -hmm. And we were talking the other day about, uh, my daughters playing soccer and how much fun it is to go and, you know, and watch them. And they're not very good, but you know, but they're learning and they're trying their best. And, uh, and she was talking about how exciting it was for her because she said, when I was, when I was a kid, there, there was no such thing as girls sports. They didn't have girls sports leagues. And she was, she's very athletic. Um, and, um, but, uh, you know, the most that she could do was to go and watch her brothers play ball games, you know, mm -hmm. because there just weren't opportunities for her. And, um, and so Schultz took those things very seriously. 
um, and 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 saw what he was uh, saw what he was doing in Peanuts as as a platform for speaking about these things and, and and again not just speaking but volunteering his time volunteering his own money mm -hmm. um and and resources and his name uh wherever he could to um to support um better access for young women for for sports and which of course uh, extends into scholarships and educational opportunities and and all those sorts of things that's that's awesome. He he not only talked the talk, he walked the walk. Uh, exactly. That. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Debbie Debbie's letting us know. Kathy was uh, Kathy yes. uh, Gizbite. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you, Debbie, Thanks, for Debbie. pointing out. On Kate, thank you also for saying that. Uh, I have a I have a great question up in here uh, from okay. Deb, which is why I love this platform. Which do this one? I can bring the questions on screen for everybody to see. Uh, so Deb, uh, did you find Charles Schultz to be an optimistic person? Did you say the TV shows that were so well done for children's programming, like we grew up on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think that um, I think that Charles Schultz was a was a generally optimistic person. Um, I think um, you know he's definitely sometimes he's optimistic in the way that. Um, in the way that uh, sometimes maybe his optimism has a little bit of fatalism, almost kind of like an Eeyore, mm. you know, where like, <laughs> yeah. like, like Eeyore thinks he's going to lose, but it doesn't stop him from trying, you mm. know, and same thing with Charlie Brown, like, yeah, there's a good chance I might lose, but I might win. It might work out. I don't know. We'll see, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to get too, too uh, excited. Uh, but uh no, I, th I think um, I think Schultz uh, was optimistic and I think you see it in the way that he continues to um, to highlight and push issues that uh, that he um, believed were important um, because he believed in in the ability of, of us as a society to change and improve. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I don't I don't think you would put all that effort into it without uh, without having a belief in that. Um, and uh, yes, I do talk a lot about um, about the animation uh, and the the TV programs. Um, I especially, for example, um, I, I get into the whole history of how of where the very first one, um, Charlie Brown Christmas, came from. It's a it's an incredible story uh, that actually goes back to um, it actually has its roots in. Um, some Ford Motor Company ads uh, oh. from the late 50s. Oh, wow. And uh, that was actually the earliest animation um, for for Peanuts. And you can find um, since since, all, you know, everybody's online, you can actually go find uh, some, some of these YouTube videos of, of the earliest uh, Peanuts animations um, in Ford ads for the uh, Ford Falcon. It was an economy size car yeah. that was coming out in the late 50s. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I talk about, I, I talk about that one. I talk about, um, I talk about, um, the Halloween special, uh, mm -hmm. in one of the chapters, um, in the closing of the book, I go through a series that Schultz did in the 1980s, um, called this is America, Charlie Brown, which was oh, yeah. basically like a, a tour in about, uh, maybe 
six or seven episodes. It was a mini series. It was a tour through American history with the, with the peanuts characters. And, uh, and it's, it's really interesting. Um, some of it's kind of weird. Some of the topics they chose and some of it is like really, uh, some of it's really kind of progressive the way it approaches some stuff. And some of it's kind of backwards. And so it's like, it's kind of all over the place. (laughs) It's the eighties, Blake. (laughs) (laughs) We were all over the place. Uh, it was coming That's down right. off the seventies is the thing. Uh, Laura, uh, has a great question about the press. Uh, Blake, you told about, you told us about finding Schultz's subject in your academic background. What about OUP? Was your subject an easy sell or no? That's a fantastic question, Laura. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so, uh, so to, um, one one of the things that that people in grad school kept telling me when they would hear when they would hear my topic, um, they would go, "Oh my gosh, you got you're going to go trade press, right? Like you're going to go after you know, uh, penguin or or you know, basic books or somebody like this." And and so in my mind, I was like, I was like, "Well, yeah, sure, I guess you know, like if that's <laughs> sure," and um, but. Uh, for a lot of those folks, they saw, uh, they saw, oh, this was, this was a dissertation, uh, that will probably be a lot of work. Um, Mm. and we're not sure if, if you'll be able to write to a popular audience. And so they were like, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And I was like, but, but, but no, 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 hold on. I promise. (laughs) Like, I've, you know, like it's, this is written for everybody, but, um, (laughs) But uh, but they just weren't buying it. Nobody would buy it on it. And um, and in the academic world, I started running into the opposite problem where I would have I would have presses, um, some kind of some some really good presses that that were um, that would say to me, like, we we want to do this book, but we all like I had at least two of them write back to me and say, and no, like basically say, we think this book is too big for our press. Like we won't be able, we won't be able to publish, uh, Hmm. like we can't do big enough runs and we probably can't market that. Mm -hmm. And so we're just going to tell you up front, we love it, but you probably would be better off going to a a press more able to handle uh, that, uh, that size topic. And, yeah yeah that volume and so um so oxford oxford i got in touch with oxford through um one of my actually one of the um members of my dissertation committee um had said hey i know i know someone at oxford um and do you want me to reach out to them and see you know see if they would be interested and so like i was like i was like yeah sure you know mm-hmm. thinking you know, thinking, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, right. And, uh, and, um, and then I got an email like the next week, Hey, I've, uh, Hey, I heard you got a really interesting project. Um, uh, when can you have a proposal done? I was like, I don't even know what a proposal is. I don't know what you're talking (laughs) about. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so once I figured out how to do that, um, uh, shout out to, um, Kevin Cruz, uh, who, uh-huh. who shared, who <laughs> shared, uh, uh, his proposal, um, uh, with me that you kind of used as a blueprint. Nice. Um, 
And um, so I put that together, sent it to them. And then basically I didn't hear anything for like six months. And so I was like, uh, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's kind of what I thought. And mm-hmm. then out of the blue one day, um, it was like, hey, we love it. Um, we we want to see uh, the full manuscript and we'd like to go ahead and send it out to readers. And yeah. like just super quick at, at that yeah. point. And I was, I was like, oh, man. And so, yeah, then it just kind of started rolling. And, and from there, it, uh, it really took off. So I, I, think, I think they were particularly excited about having, um, having something, you know, what the trade presses were worried about, which was that it would be too academic. I think Oxford liked that it was, it had academic footing but that it was really a topic written and aimed at at a at a broad audience and uh mm-hmm. and so they were super supportive um and really behind it the whole way and in fact they actually did a lot of um a lot of great help in getting um helping get all the illustrations that are in there the the comic strips reprinted and things and so yeah what once once they were on board they have been awesome nice Nice. Yeah, because yeah, they're 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 killing two birds with one stone with this, and so are you. Where you're you're doing it from an academic standpoint, but it's a popular culture thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you're yeah. reaching two separate audiences, which I can understand why some presses would be like it's a little too academic, and then some other university presses would be like, well, we don't know if we can handle volume. Yeah, uh, because yeah. a lot of people are going to want to read about Charlie Brown. Right. Uh, so right. I can understand that, but I'm glad that Oxford uh, decided to play because I'm glad that yeah. this all came about uh i have uh kate uh red baron world one flying ace i i showed uh blake before we went live (laughs) when i was when i was a drinking man back in the day before i went sober the only time i ever went when i had like a buzz on uh to get a tattoo i got uh i got snoopy right there Shaking his fist at the Red Baron. So that's the only one I got where I was like half, half not in my right mind. <laughs> I, I got a great tattoo out of it. At least it's not. Uh, I've seen worse when it's like yeah. that. And I'm sure Blake has, and I'm sure some of you have as well uh, when people yeah. do that. Uh, but there's another, one more great question on here before we, uh, before we decide to wrap up, Blake, uh, right. from my, my good friend Kendrick. What kind of role did religion play in Schultz's life based on his theme of the Christmas special? That's a fantastic mm-hmm question Kendrick because we probably all have seen the Christmas special uh, at some point in our lives or you know flip past it so that's a great question uh what what role did religion play for Schultz especially going through that early trauma I think that yeah. would impact him yeah 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 that that's an excellent question Kendrick um yeah it it really does so like Schultz Schultz tells us that like growing up um his parents were German-American in fact, so a number of his relatives still spoke German, um, and um, they were kind of nominally Lutheran, but he doesn't really re- he he de- didn't really recall a whole lot of church experiences. That just wasn't something that they did. Um, mm-hmm. While while he was away at war and his mom had died and everything like this, like he really starts and and, and you can kind of see it in especially in the fifties comic strips like he's asking a lot of questions about like the meaning of life and, and like, why am I here and what's the purpose and all Mm -hmm. these kind of things. And so he comes back and 
he's interested in kind of spiritual questions and the only person that he knows um the only person that he knows to talk to about it is the um is the minister that they had gotten to do his mother's funeral um and so like he doesn't even really know the guy but he he remembers his name or he remembers the church that he was at and so he goes down to the church and and starts talking to the minister and the minister sets him up with this basically like young adult Bible study group. And, uh, and Schultz just like catches it like wildfire, like Mm -hmm. for him, um, it it turns, you know, as I said, like in school, uh, he didn't have the greatest grades. He, but, uh, but really beginning in this period, he takes to reading and studying um, and, and just, and just loves it. And so it starts with, it starts with studying the Bible, um, but then branches out into all kinds of literature and stuff. And you see all these things come up in, in peanuts, uh, the things he was interested in. And so, um, he, um, he gets really passionate in the, in the late forties and early fifties about, um, Christianity and um, he even at one point, um, while he was still in in uh, Minneapolis area, he actually did some st- like some street corner preaching um, <laughs> with with a group and um, did it maybe a couple of times. Felt like really uncomfortable about it. He was like maybe he he says something to the effect of like uh, you know maybe maybe shouting uh at people about god's love is not it's not the most effective (laughs) means right um and so he kind of rethinks that but but he's really he's really intense about this in 1957 um while he's uh in new york for some business meetings he attends one of uh one of the nights of uh billy graham's crusade there at madison square garden which Mm. was a huge uh weeks-long event and um, and he's really um, yeah, several of his uh, correspondents say that that he talked a lot about that meeting and just how he started feeling like he needed to he needed to say more about the things that he believed. And so in this period of time, and I talk about this in one of the chapters in this period of time, he he um, Linus really starts to develop and Linus becomes kind of the the uh the mouthpiece for his meditations and questions about religion and the bible and things like this and Mm -hmm. it really uh, it really develops and culminates in um that um uh charlie brown christmas special in 1965 um which which the whole thing as you'll see in the book the whole thing was pretty controversial in fact there was even talk um there was even talk when the executives got the first viewing of it, which was late. They, they had kept kind of missing their schedule. And so it comes late, which might be the only thing that saved it. Some of the executives talked about actually pulling it because they were afraid that an explicitly Christian message on network television, when there's only three channels, right? There's only, you know, so, so it's intense competition for viewers. Um, And, um, they were very concerned, like, what if what if someone either isn't a Christian or has a different interpretation on Christianity, right, or on scripture or whatever, and, and doesn't 
take to this. And, uh, and so they were really leery about that. Charles Schultz was pretty adamant. He's like, basically, I'm not I'm not doing Charlie Brown Christmas unless we go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so they did it. And it was an overnight sensation. Um, uh, I, I write about just the mountain of letters um, that he and the sponsors Coca-Cola started getting over the next week from people who said, you know, for the first time, someone brave enough to go on national television and and talk about Jesus, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, talk about Christianity. And so for kind of a subculture, uh, of, of the kind of maybe proto Christian, right. Um, Mm -hmm. this was kind of a, a, um, um, a hallmark moment for them, right. Mm -hmm. That, uh, that, uh, someone had, had stepped on, onto this, you know, quite literally with Linus stepping into the spotlight and talking about Christianity and faith and, um, and so, um, yeah, it, it was, it was huge. Now, as you know, Schultz life goes on, Schultz continues to, to develop and develop his thinking. And he becomes even more concerned that, that maybe even these kind of national broadcasts, national strip kind of things, maybe that is not a nuanced enough space to talk about spiritual things. And so you see in a number of cases as he gets later on in life, he says, you know, I've decided in my later years that religion's not the kind of thing to be, you know, to be kind of doled out in little snippets. Like it's the kind of thing you sit down on multiple occasions and you talk and you get to understand somebody and you, and and you discuss. Right. And, uh, and so um, his views really changed on that. Um, by late in his life, he was still reading the Bible, but uh, but hmm. he didn't attend church anymore. Um, and uh, and he's got some really interesting viewpoints on that. And I talk about those in the book. That's awesome. And yeah. if you all would love to have a copy of the book, I placed a link in the chat on multiple occasions. So you'll be able to find mm-hmm. it when you, when you go back through there. Uh, also we have the 30% off code. This is also in the chat from Oxford university press and shout out to them for giving us a 30% off code, uh, for you all to enjoy. I already saw one person in the comments say that they've already ordered their copy. Uh, uh, yeah. So we, thank we, you. So thank you for, for doing that. Uh, and, and we're so glad that, uh, we're able to have you on uh, uh, for for this evening. Everyone in the chat, uh, Blake, it's so great to have you on, my friend. I'm so glad that we we linked up as Twitter historians, and this is what <laughs> can come out of uh, this new era of, as I say, we're not socially distanced; we're physically distanced. Yeah, uh, we yeah. are. We are more socially together <laughs> than ever before because of opportunities like this. And Blake, I'm so happy that we got to showcase. Uh, some of your book this evening. We don't want to give it all away, uh, but I want to be able to let everyone know that uh, you've done excellent work, and uh, and and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how many of my followers pick this up because uh, I know a lot of us have watched Charlie Brown for years, grew up with it, multiple generations of people. Uh, what are we going on now? Like three or four generations now have yeah. Been, yeah. been exposed to Peanuts and Charlie Brown, uh, so. I can't wait to hear the success of this book, Blake. And uh, if you ever do a Jim Henson one, let me know because that's <laughs> that's my other jam. Uh, you know, hey, I'm a, I'm a yeah. big Beaker guy. So yeah, oh, 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 perfect, perfect. 
Well, hey, you're not the only person that that is, is has been hitting me up for hey, hey, Henson, Henson, Henson. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So yeah. Oh yeah. It's a sign. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a sign. It's a sign. <laughs> Blake, thank you again for taking time to speak with us this evening. It really means a lot to me. It means a lot for my my followers. I really appreciate well, it. Thank you, John, and thank you for everybody uh, tuning in. This was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>